Amen. Well, it is incredible to be in the house of God on this Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Awesome to have you. If you are new, if you're visiting with us here at City Hope Church, I hope that you have an incredible time with us. You are so welcome here. And hey, we'd love to meet you, so don't rush off after the gathering. There's coffee available. If you're visiting, you get a free cappuccino. Come and someone say amen. Also, there's hot cross buns. It wouldn't be Resurrection Sunday without hot cross buns. How many of you know that? Uh, so do hang around afterwards. Uh, somebody came up to me at the 8 o'clock this morning, and it was a, I think it was a bit more rainy than it is now. She said she looked outside and thought, wow, I don't know about getting out of bed this morning. But then she remembered, if Jesus got off the cross and out of the tomb, I can get out of bed. Amen. <laughs> you know, these, uh, these 8 o'clock people are, are pretty committed, and so are you. So good to have you here in the house this morning. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks leading up to Easter, we are in a series called Confessions, where we've been looking at the different words spoken on this great journey, this most important journey, the most important moment in history, uh, through the lens of different characters through uh, the Scriptures. We're picking up with that today, and I'm really excited because what we're going to be able to do today is we're going to look at the very first words spoken by Jesus after His resurrection. I wonder if you know what they are. Uh, give me a wave if anybody thinks they know. <laughs> no, no takers. We're going to find out in a minute. Uh, but that's what we're going to look at. If you were here, how many of you were with us on Good Friday, this past uh, Friday? Yes, a lot of us. Wonderful. Uh, really amazing to have you here across the weekend. This is our first Easter back in the room since 2019. How cool is that? So it's awesome to be packed out uh, and all together celebrating uh, this Easter. If you're here on Friday, you would have heard Duncan already use the scripture. I'm starting with it this morning. Uh, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 4. You can read along behind me on the Sky Bible. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, dot, dot, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, amen, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, this is really good news. This was the good news of the gospel of Jesus in the words of Paul, the apostle who wrote it. And today, in April 2022, it's not just good news. How many of you know it's very good news? That Jesus died and rose again is very good news for the times that we're in, for the type of situations that we find ourselves in, in the times that we're in. It's more than good news. It's the best news, and it's something to be excited about. It's something to be grateful for, that we serve a resurrected Jesus. The incredible thing, though, and where we're going today, is on the very first Easter, the very first Sunday uh, of Easter, this was not the good news that it is to us today. In fact, it was terrible news that Mary Magdalene, she's going to be the character that we're looking at today, brought to the apostles. She came with this news to Peter and to the other disciple, and she came running to them on this Easter morning, the first Easter morning, that the body of their beloved Jesus had disappeared. It had been put in the tomb on the Friday, and now it was gone. What an incredible shock that must have been to everyone around. We're going to read about this account in the book of John. And so it's uh, John chapter 20, the whole way from verse 1. You can read with me. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb 
early, while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Verse 4 says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. He was the younger disciple, I think, and he reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the, the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. It continues to then to the next section, verse 11. It says, Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped down to look in the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her these words, they said, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, verse 14, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, here it is. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me what you have, where you have laid him and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. He says one word, Mary. She turns to him and says in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You can just imagine this moment in the life of Mary Magdalene, the shock of a missing body. We can only imagine what must have been going through the minds and the hearts of the disciples and of these women, uh, the immense shock of uh, already having been devastated by the terrible death uh, of their precious Jesus on the cross, and suddenly they hear an hysterical Mary running towards them with this terrible news. And I think in a fairly short passage like this one, there's a lot of emotion there's so much emotion that gets wrapped up. There's so much depth that we can find in the interaction that we see here between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I think one of the interesting things is that this interaction with Jesus is actually only found in the Gospel of John. It's the only place we find this interaction. I think that Mary must have told John about her experience of this personally. In actual fact, John didn't even write about uh, this account of events of the resurrection until some 50 years later, but when we read it over here, the narrative is as vivid and as fresh as if it had just occurred. 
What a moment it must have been. As we read this, I think everything about this little slice of life rings true to our own human nature. We can pick it up. There's a weeping woman who's lingering, standing around an empty tomb. And she's wondering what has happened to the body of the one that I love. And then when Jesus suddenly appears before her, she doesn't even recognize that it's Jesus who's standing right there. When she finally does recognize that it's Jesus, she grips, it says here, his feet so tightly that that Jesus has to say, Mary, let go. Don't hold on so tightly. And the account ends, I think this is so beautiful, with a mourner turned into a missionary as she runs to tell everybody of what she has seen and what she has heard. Mary moves from being a mourner to a missionary. And so as all of this is happening, it's about 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Jesus had died the gruesome death that we had heard about on Friday, just 39 hours before this. And his dead body had been laid to rest in a garden tomb. It was wrapped up in linen and it was coated with spices, it tells us. This group of women who had witnessed all of this were now making their way to the tomb on that Sunday morning, and they were going there to complete the embalming of his body with more spices. Along the way, they were wondering to themselves, how would we even get inside the tomb? They, they knew that the entrance had been covered. It had been sealed by this large stone. But they reached the tomb, and they received the shock of their life that, this, the, that the entrance is already open, but the body is missing. It's gone. One of those women was Mary Magdalene. Mary's a very interesting character. Uh, We read about her in the Gospels. Early on in the Gospels, we discover that Mary Magdalene's life had been gloriously, dramatically saved and transformed by Jesus Christ. And, And since the day that we read about where Jesus saved her and rescued her and freed her from the misery of demon possession, we read about, she becomes his devoted follower. She follows him and the disciples everywhere. She served Jesus with her whole life. So how grieved must Mary have been to see her master arrested, tried, ruthlessly crucified to death? And on this day, how earnestly must she have just desired to see him alive once again? On this morning, we we read that there was a, a big earthquake. The seal was broken, the stone rolled away by angels, and Christ came out of the tomb. The soldiers, it tells us, were knocked unconscious, and when they came, uh, when they woke up again, they fleed for their lives out of terror. When the women found the tomb empty, they were confused and they were afraid. The angels say to them, no, Christ has risen from the dead, and so they run off to tell the other disciples. And the other disciples come, say they're talking nonsense, but John and Peter say they'll come and investigate. Uh, when they saw the linen wrappings exactly where the body had been placed, on Friday evening, it says they believed. It means they believed Mary, that the body was gone. And so they left to tell the others. And it's at that point that we find Mary Magdalene going back to the tomb. You see, Mary is bewildered. She's shocked. She's confused and she's frightened and she's brokenhearted in this moment in time. I think it was just far too much 
for this poor woman to handle. Something needs to happen. Something needs to be done. You see, what's happening over here is it has not yet occurred to Mary that the empty tomb meant that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so she's in the state of absolute shock. I love that it's often said that Mary Magdalene was the last one at the cross and the first one at the tomb. Isn't that beautiful? Imagine being in that position, the last one at the cross, the first one at the tomb. I think that it's a very high honor that can be said of none of the men that follow Jesus around. Mary was the first one to see Jesus alive. Mary was the first one to hear Jesus' voice. But the irony within the story is that when she sees him, she doesn't recognize him. But when the truth hits home, Mary becomes the very first evangelist, actually, in Christian history. She runs to tell the others what she has seen. I think Christ bestowed this great honor on Mary because she loved him so deeply and she followed him so devotedly. It's beautiful. Many of us know that death is not something that's easy to deal with, right? A death, when, when it comes to death, most of us, we, we want to try avoid it, we want to try run away from it, we want to try postpone death and keep it far from us. But there are moments when death will stare us straight in the face and we don't know what to do with it. And I think that's exactly what was happening to Mary Magdalene on this Sunday morning. Death was staring her in the face at this tomb before sunrise on the Easter Sunday morning, and she didn't know what to do with it. So much of the first part of this account that we read in John speaks to Mary's incredibly deep sorrow that she was experiencing on this day. In verse 11, as we read, it says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her at that point, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they've taken my Lord away. It speaks into the sorrow that was in her heart. I don't know where they've put him. And I suppose the question to ask is, if the tomb is empty, why is she still there? Why do we still find her there? And I would say that Either that's something that you know, and I don't need to explain it to you, or it's something that you, you don't know. You see, if you've ever lost a loved one, if you've ever lost somebody in your life that meant more to you than life itself, you will know exactly why Mary was there. Mary had loved Jesus in life, and now she loved Jesus in death. Mary had given her life to serve Jesus in his life, and now her intention, the reason she was at the grave, is she wanted to serve her precious Jesus in death. She was there at the tomb alone, because not even death could destroy her very deep love for Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? I'm aware that on a morning like this morning, Easter morning, some of you would have woken up this morning and thought about loved ones in your own life who are no longer with you. Some of you sometimes might get up and even talk to the one that is now gone and tell them how much you miss them, how much you wish you could see them again. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever had that experience of a lost loved one in your life, then you know exactly what's happening in Mary's heart right now. She weeps because the tomb is empty. But that, there, therein lies the perplexity of this whole story. 
She's weeping over an empty tomb. And so what should have been good news like it is to us today was actually news that was breaking Mary's heart even further than it had already been broken. You know, today, in 2022, we would say, well, the resurrection, the empty tomb is the best news ever. It's the greatest news. An empty tomb is the greatest proof of the resurrection. But yet we see Mary weeping. And what this shows us is that evidence alone will never persuade anyone. You see, unless evidence is accompanied by a proper understanding, unless evidence is accompanied by an open heart, then nobody will ever be changed. And that's what's happening here. Mary had all of the facts. Mary had everything to actually know what was going on. It, it's one of the things, because Jesus had said several times through uh, the New Testament, the Gospels, that he would die and that he would rise again on the third day. It's actually one of the most striking things about the, the Gospels is the deafness that the disciples and the people that follow Jesus could have to the consistent revelations of Jesus concerning his resurrection. Because he had time and time again great difficulty, Jesus, convincing his disciples that he was going to die in the first place. It was only that on the Friday when they saw the opposition closing in on him that they realized, wait a minute, those words that Jesus told us are true. But even then, none of them seemed to grasp that every time he mentioned his death, he also mentioned his resurrection and that he would rise on the third day. And so Mary knew it. She had heard it. But here we find her jumping to the wrong conclusion. How many times do you and I do the exact same thing in our own lives? You know, when we're faced with trials, when we're faced with difficult circumstances, when we're faced with unexplainable tragedy in our own life, we can find ourselves weeping over the circumstance. But if we just had God's perspective in these moments, if we held more wholeheartedly onto what we know Jesus has already assured us of, we wouldn't weep at all. Amen? It so often happens to us. And if we think about it, if Mary had gotten her wish that day, if Mary had arrived there and found the dead body in the tomb, we would be the ones weeping today. You know, because they would, if they, if, if they had found Jesus' body, we would have nothing to celebrate. There would be no Easter. And so as we're in this series and we're looking at these words, we get to hear these first words of Jesus as he is resurrected. And so we've got three sentences of Jesus that we're going to go through in the time we've got left this morning. Uh, the first words of Jesus after his resurrection is, woman, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. He's, he opened her eyes. At that point, she didn't know it was Jesus. He says to her, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. I think this is one of the most surprising things in the Easter story. Why doesn't Mary recognize Jesus? Why doesn't she recognize that this is her Lord? It doesn't explicitly tell us in the text, but I think there's certain uh, answers that we could come up with. I think perhaps most obviously we can realize that she wasn't expecting to see him. She had all the facts. She was confused. She was overwhelmed and terrified. So she wasn't expecting to see him. You know, we all have contexts in our lives. Uh, sometimes your context is your friendship groups or the area that you live or your workplace or whatever the case might be. 
Uh, but if you see somebody outside of that context, you're likely to draw a blank. It, I think it could have been happening. In, in actual fact, uh, this, this week, I was moving I was uh, from one place to another in my day, and I was on, on a mission. My head was a little bit down, and uh, I walked past a couple who had come in here, and I hardly looked up. I just said a courteous hello, and they said hello. And as they were walking behind me, I heard their conversation, and they said, oh, it's the pastor from the church. So if that was you this morning, I'm sorry. You can give me a wave if it was you. I'll give you a free coffee after the gathering. It was out of... Co- <laughs> yeah, they're waving at me in the production room. I know, I, I know you guys. That's the context. Uh, but even here in the gatherings, you know, I, I'll recognize you in this context. But if I bump into you at Woolies on Thursday afternoon, I might not. I'll draw a blank. That's very possibly what was happening here to Mary. It was not the context uh, that she was expecting. I think probably, though, the main reason why Mary doesn't recognize the resurrected, risen Jesus is I think it's possible that Jesus was deliberately concealing his identity from her. In fact, the same thing happens a little bit later with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You can read about it in Luke 24, the same thing. Jesus conceals his identity. And I think it's possible that, Mary didn't want G- that Jesus didn't want Mary to recognize him at first because he wanted to teach her a very important thing. I think Jesus wanted to teach Mary that she needed to learn that he is always present even when he is invisible to the human eye. And maybe that's something for us to remember this morning, that Jesus is always present even when he's not visible to the human eye. Even today, I think that God is often closest to us when we feel most alone. Amen? He's often closest in our times of greatest loneliness. Many times when we're going through a difficult, dark valley, when we think that God has abandoned us, but if our eyes could just be opened, if we could see that God is always there, that He's walking with us every step of the way, just because we don't see Him doesn't mean that He's not with us. Amen. I really love this question that Jesus asks next. He says, who are you looking for? (laughs) The interesting thing is he didn't say, what are you looking for? Because that's a different question. If he asked, what are you looking for? That's a different question. But Mary was looking for a something. She was looking for a body. She was looking for a a, a what. But Jesus points her not to a something, but to a someone, Jesus Christ himself. And how many of you know that the answer to our deepest needs is not a something, it's a someone, and it is Jesus himself. You might find yourself going through a valley this morning. You might find yourself going through a dire situation this morning. You need to remember what you need is not a something, it's a someone. And so many of us can testify that that is Jesus. And he's available to you even this morning. Jesus is saying to Mary, this is not a time for weeping, Mary. It's a time for rejoicing, for praising, for thanksgiving. We can be just like that, though. We can be just like Mary in these moments. When we're in these distressing circumstances, when the sky feels like it's crashing down on our heads, and no matter how many years you've been following Jesus, do you know that you can forget the promises of God in your own life like that? We sang about it earlier. We can become anxious. We can become upset. We've done that before. We've all been there, and we can forget in a moment the promises that God has continued to speak over your life for years. I love the story about Martin Luther. 
it says that uh, he spent three days at one point in his life in a very dark and deep depression. And after three days, his wife came downstairs and she was dressed in all black, so in mourning clothes. I'm always in all black, but don't worry, I'm not always in mourning, I can assure you, it's fine. The wife came down and she's dressed in all black. And so Martin Luther says to her, who's dead? So she replied and she said, God. So Martin Luther rebuked her and saying, what do you mean God is dead? God cannot die. And she replied and said, well, the way that you've been acting, I was sure he had died. How many of us have been in that situation before? How many of us get caught in that trap? And I think that that is possibly what happened to Mary in this moment. Woman, why are you weeping? The second thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth, and I think this is so beautiful, is one word. He says to her, Mary. Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I think that this was such a beautiful, such an impactful moment that must have taken place in the story that Jesus has to just speak one word to her and her eyes are opened to the truth of who he is. It takes one word with remarkable tenderness. He utters her name, Mary. And Mary realizes he knows my name. He still knows me. He recognize, uh, she recognizes his voice. Just as any of us would recognize a voice that we've heard, that we know, we hear it and we recognize it. And she responds in Aramaic. She flings herself at his feet and she cries out, Rabbanai. It, it means teacher or another translation means my master. I think there's so much emotion that can be conveyed in just one word. When he just says one word and her eyes get open to him, if you think about how much emotion is conveyed in one word, a child speaking and saying, Dad, Mom, Father, there is so much in it. And Jesus calls just one word, but it's her name. And when he did it, he was conveying so much to her in the moment. Jesus is saying, Mary, I am here. I am back from the dead. I still know you, Mary, and I still love you. Mary, how beautiful was this moment? And the most amazing thing is she knows his voice and he knows her name. You see, it tells us that she seizes him by the feet and her tears of sadness are turned into tears of joy in the moment of her eyes being opened to a risen Savior. I believe that there are tears of, joy, of sadness that can be turned into tears of joy this morning as our eyes are reopened to a risen Jesus in our midst. The third thing that he says is, do not cling to me, but go. Verse 17, Jesus says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. According to this account, Jesus gently disengages himself from her. I think it's a better translation to say, don't cling to me now, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. It's hard to even imagine what the scene must have been like, what that room must have felt like in that moment, or not that room, but the, where they were must have felt like. You know, I think Mary being so overwhelmed in this moment, I can imagine her kneeling down 
and wrapping her arms around his feet so tightly, thinking to herself, I'm going to wrap my arms around you so tightly that I'm never going to let you go again. I've lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. I'm never going to let go of you. You see, in Jesus, Mary had found someone that she could love. In Jesus, Mary had found somebody that she could trust. And so then why does Jesus say no? Why does he say, don't cling to me now, Mary? He's saying to her, Mary, a new relationship has come into being. He's saying, I'm no longer going to continue with you in a close physical relationship. You see, touching me gives you comfort, but it's not going to be that way for any longer because I'm going to be ascending to my father. I think that Mary was clinging to something that she now needed to give up. Her clinging meant, I think everything is the same as it used to be. But the words of Jesus over here mean, no, things have to be different right now. And so very gently, Jesus begins to unfold the future before Mary's eyes. He will be ascending to the Father, and he's going to take his rightful place at the right hand of his Father. And there he will intercede for his followers, and he'll commune with his followers through the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so actually now Jesus is saying he will be closer to them in the future than he's ever been to them in the past. If he stays on earth, his ministry will be limited to the few, only the ones who can see him face to face. But Jesus is saying, I must ascend now or we will not be saved. He must leave the few so that he can save the many, which includes every single one of us even today. And as we know from the upper room discourse that we read about a bit later, from there he would send the Holy Spirit and he would make the Holy Spirit available in a more wonderful and closer way than ever before. That's the amazing news. And so what Jesus is saying is that when I ascend to the Father, my nearness to you will be complete. That's what it took for the nearness of Jesus to be complete to us today. On that day, Mary could touch him. But once ascended, every single one of us is able to touch him. And so we're able to touch Jesus through our faith, and we're able to touch Jesus through our prayer. We're able to touch Jesus through our worship. And then Jesus says to Mary in this moment, go, go and tell. I think that's just one of the best parts of this whole thing. It's the mourner becoming the missionary, amen? So Mary does that. She unclings herself, I guess, and she goes And she runs and she tells the disciples what she's seen. She tells them what she's heard. You can imagine how excited she must have been because the Greek in this is very vivid. It literally means Mary came telling. You can imagine those words were just falling out of her mouth. She was probably tripping over her own feet as she ran. She couldn't stop talking about the encounter that she has just had with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The mourner became the missionary. And I want to say that that is exactly how it has to be for every single one of us, even today. Maybe you're in a place of mourning, but it needs to move to being a place of being a missionary. We are all called to do as Mary did. We are all called to run and tell the good news of anyone who will listen that we have seen Jesus. Mary had firsthand knowledge, but guess what? This morning, so do we. So do we, we have firsthand knowledge and experience of Jesus in our own lives. And so that's not something to keep to ourselves, amen. We need to run and we need to tell the good news 
of what Jesus has done. I'm about to wrap up this morning. We're going to be going into a time of communion. But I think that there is great power in the words of someone who can say, I was there, I saw it, I heard it, I'm given an eyewitness account of it. There was great power in what happened with Mary over here. It reminded me of a story that I heard about a church in Bangladesh, uh, and they were playing the famous Jesus film uh, uh, to a group, to an audience that was filled with people. There was a group of young children watching, and I never heard the name of Jesus, never heard the gospel before. Children sitting on the floor, the adults were standing around the back and in the aisles. And as the story of Jesus' crucifixion, of the gruesomeness of what happened on Friday started to unfold, there were tears and there were audible gasps in the room that night. And as the people sat and they watched through their tears streaming down their faces, a little boy stood up and spoke up. And he said, don't worry, he gets up again. I've seen this before. How powerful is that? I've seen this before. And you know what? This is our message to a world that is overwhelmed with death at the moment. The world that is overwhelmed by the reality of death. That God has actually given us the answer. Amen. We can say to those who are feeling bewildered. We can say to those who are feeling brokenhearted. We can say to those who are filled with fear. Fear not. Jesus has come back. I have seen him myself. Amen. That is what every one of us is called to do. I think it's such a beautiful encouragement for us this morning that we will turn from being mourners, from our weeping, from our heartbreak into the ultimate missionaries for Jesus, for what he has done for us. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand up with me this morning as the band joins me on stage. And this morning is a, just a beautiful opportunity for us to celebrate once again all that Jesus did. The fact that we can stand here and say, we've got a message for the world. He's alive. He's not here anymore. He's risen. And I want to take this moment this morning to do that. That as we take communion, as we remember all of this, His death, His resurrection, that we can say that we will take that and go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone who will listen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much this morning for that it's not just good news, it's the best news. A risen Jesus, there is, <laughs> there's no better news. Our oh God, that we get to have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, that you call us friend. God, we don't want to hold that to ourselves. We don't want to keep this to ourselves. I pray, Lord, may this Easter weekend not just be something that was good for ourselves. As good as it is to gather, to worship, to be together in the room, to be with us online. Lord Jesus, we don't want to stop there. We want this message to go as far as it can to the ends of the earth. That there is a Savior who has risen, who is available to us every moment of our lives. Lord, may this morning, may this Easter 2022 be a watershed moment in the hearts of many, many people. I pray, won't you renew uh, a, a, a revelation within our own hearts of just how big this is, of just how great this is. 
that our lives can be lived out declaring good news of salvation in the name of Jesus. And so we bless you, Jesus. We praise you. Our lives are yours, Lord. Amen. We're going to go into a time of communion. And so there's uh, communion stations that have been set up all over the venue, uh, straight down the middle here, to your left, to your right. Uh, and the hosts will help you with that. But why don't you move out and just go grab your elements right now. If you're in a group, why don't you just uh, send somebody to collect for all of you, bring it back to your chairs. If you're here with your family, uh, send somebody to go get for you. And then bring it back and we're going to celebrate this moment together. on Friday, Duncan actually mentioned this. There's many different ways of celebrating things, celebrating communion. There's, there's uh, moments of somberness around it, of reflection around it. There's also moments of great celebration around it. Amen. Uh, a morning like this is a great celebration moment. And so we're going to take this with hearts that are overflowing with thankfulness, with gratitude, with uh, acknowledgement of everything that Jesus has done for us and in our lives. We're going to celebrate that moment as a family together. How beautiful that we can do that this morning. On the night before, uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he was with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he took the bread and he held it up to his disciples. And he said that this is my body and it's broken for you. And this morning Jesus is saying his body was broken on that cross for you. And so this morning, let's take and let's eat that with tremendous celebration. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, the wine, and he held it up, it says. So let's hold it up this morning as a token of our celebration for this moment. He said that this is my blood, and it's shed for you. And she said, when you drink this, when you do this moment like we're doing right now, do it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, let's remember Jesus, the price he paid, and his resurrection as we celebrate this together. Amen. Jesus, we're so grateful. Thank you for the price you paid. Thank you for the victory of the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we have relationship with you forever. And so right now, Jesus, we choose to celebrate with all of our hearts and all of our lives, you and you alone. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs> 